Hello and welcome. It's the pleasure of Power to Change to present Family Life Today each week, Monday through Friday at this time. We'd love you to contact this station and tell them how much you appreciate hearing Family Life Today. Well, let's get started on today's edition. So the Lent season is starting, and I was thinking about you, because you used to go to church on Easter. What do you remember the most about those Easter services as a kid growing up? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember I had to go, because Mom said it's Easter, we're going to church, which she said every Sunday. Which I didn't go, so. Yeah, I mean, that was a good thing. Yeah, good for your mom. There were times I didn't want to go, but, you know, my single mom did a phenomenal job of bringing Jesus into my life, and I didn't even really know it or appreciate it. But I do remember sitting there, even, you know, from a little boy to a teenager, not understanding the story. Like, how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean anything to me and to our world right now? I just sat there and never could connect the dots. I think that's true for a lot of people, especially when they didn't grow up in the church. And you had a chance to sit down with David Mathis, who wrote the book Rich Wounds. And I'm excited for our listeners to get to hear this conversation. Yeah, because what David did is he connects the dots. I mean, his book Rich Wounds is all about the wounds of Christ and what that means for us, but also the triumph of Christ over the cross and the resurrection. David is the executive director of DesiringGod.org and a pastor of Cities Church in Minneapolis, also a husband, and he's got uh, four kids as well. And I'm telling you what, you talk about a theologian who's going to dive deep into understanding not only the life and death, but also the resurrection of Christ. That's David. So it was a great conversation. I'm excited for our listeners to hear it. So tell us a little bit about uh, your your thinking as you were writing this book. I know it's uh, you know it's the beginning of Lent. Mm-hmm. How are you hoping, dreaming, they would sort of use this this book? I think I, I may be wrong about this, um, but I wonder how many Christians have a a real detailed sense of all the glory, all the beauty uh, that there is to see in the person of Christ. I think sometimes we can be content with pretty thin, canned, recycled messages about Jesus. Oh, I've heard of Jesus. I know about Jesus. But there is so much more to know and experience about Jesus than I think the typical Christian today often has from just from preaching or from reading in the Gospels. Just this morning, I was reading in Genesis 45. Jacob's son, Joseph, has been sold into slavery. Mm -hmm. God's favor's on him. He blesses him. He comes through Potiphar's house. He comes through prison. He comes to Pharaoh. And uh, the brothers find out that this is Joseph. Of course, they're scared. And they go back to tell Jacob, we have found your son. Joseph is alive, and he's Lord over Egypt. This is Genesis 45, maybe verse 6. And the narrative reports that Jacob was numb in heart, and he did not believe them. Hmm. And so I I paused there and just thought, this news that came to Jacob from his sons that Joseph is alive is so good that he has a hard time believing it. And so what do the brothers do? If you tell somebody such good news that they're numb in heart and have a hard time believing it, what do you do next? Hmm. And what the brothers do is they tell him all that Joseph had to say. So when somebody gets such good news 
that they're numb in heart. They don't believe. What we do next is we keep telling them, give them more details. Like, I don't believe what you're saying. All right, well, let me give you some more details. Let me tell you more about it. Right. And that's my hope in the book. It, let me tell you more about Jesus. Let me tell you more details about him. If we linger in the Gospels and if we try to get some help from church history and people who have observed the life of Jesus through the scriptures in different times and places, there is so much more to learn and to glean and to marvel at about Jesus. Yeah, you know, as I was reading Rich Wounds, that's what happened to me. And I, I was going to say that's what happened to my soul. It was the beauty. Again, again, I'm, I mean, I'm a pastor. I've been preaching on Easter for over 30 years in the death and the resurrection of Christ. I picked up your book and I know I'm reading it before Easter, so not like reading it during Lent. But it was rich, and of course that's in your title. But it was it brought out the beauty of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And I didn't know, you know, but I found out in the very beginning that even the title, yeah, I should have recognized it right away as a line from one of your favorite hymns. That's you know, right. crown him with many crowns. And is it true that you know when you hear that song, your your kids say, "Dad, that's your favorite." <laughs> they do. There's a couple. I also love "Jesus on My Cross Have Taken," which is like the epilogue or the conclusion of the book. Yeah. But it probably would have to be said that my favorite is "Crown Him with Many Crowns." Let's talk about that line: yes. "Rich wounds, yet visible above in beauty glorified." That's mm-hmm. the title of the book. Mm-hmm. What is it about that phrase, that idea? that hit you, that when you hear the song, your your kids are saying, Dad, it's your favorite. Mm. What is it that you wanted to draw out of that? I, I don't know that it's a song that's been especially in vogue in the recent wave of, you know, worship right. music and what you'll hear at a big conference. And I grew up with this hymn in Spartanburg, South Carolina, in my Southern Baptist church. <laughs> and then in moving to Minnesota and being in other churches for years, there was a, a gap there where I didn't hear it for a long time. And just recently, we we've, we've brought it back at our church. And so there's some profundity to the song in several dimensions. One is gratitude mm. for what I was raised in, you know, now to sing and appreciate these truths in some fresh way. But that relates to that phrase, rich wounds. Wounds is a word that is probably being used more today than it was 10, 20 years ago. That, that word has not passed out of usage. Yeah, We talk a lot about our wounds. Mm. And often it's not the physical wounds that we're talking about. We're talking about some emotional, psychological Father wound. wound. Yes. Wounds of our past, our family. Some trauma, the way that we've been emotionally wounded or, or whatever it would be. So there's a lot of talk about wounds today. And usually the connotations are very negative. We don't talk positively hmm. about wounds. And what's so remarkable about this phrase in the song, the adjective rich, <laughs> yeah. that his wounds are rich. And because his wounds are the wounds by which you are healed. Mm. He has carried our griefs and our sorrows. He was wounded not by some accident. He was not wounded because of his disobedience or of his sin. He was wounded because of ours. Mm. He carried our griefs. He carried our wounds in his wounding. And so his wounds, because they are saving, Because he rescues us with his wounds, his wounds to our eyes are glorious. Mm. They're marvelous wounds. They are rich wounds. And we might think, okay, (laughs) when we get to heaven, 
any scars that we have will be gone because scars are that's part of the old age and God will heal and and get rid of all scars. Well, the end of the gospels talk about some scars on the glorified resurrected body of Jesus that aren't gone. <laughs> when he comes to doubting Thomas, you know, put your uh, hands in my wounds. His scars are glorious to those whom he saved by his scars. I don't think that when we get to heaven and see Jesus face to face, the scars will be gone at that point. <laughs> I think we will see glory in the scars. The scars forever. are a reminder of our richness. He became poor for our sakes, that in him, though poor, we might become rich because yeah. of his blessing, his favor, that we are rescued because of the sacrifice of himself evidenced in the wounds. Let's talk about the book being used during Lent. You know, it's mm. 40 days. You've got 30 chapters. Right. Obviously, you don't need to read one every single day. But how would a family walk through this? What do you hope would happen as they walk through sort of 30 days? But what are you hoping would happen as a father or a mother or a blended family walk through this and experience Lent and the rich wounds of Christ in their family? Ideally, Christian families today would have a meaningful, deep, wonderful time of family gathering around God's Word every single day of Lent and every single day of the year. Is Lent that what is... happens in your house? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> we are so serious about Advent. I do hope there's a, there's a kind of realism in this. <laughs> Personally, the Bible reading plan that I've done for years is 25 days a month. <laughs> yeah. Now, that doesn't mean I intentionally take days off. But it is nice when, when you life mean, happens. You, you set in yours a up 25 world. days. So you have the grace? It's the Disciple Journal reading plan from the okay. Navigators, and it's 25 days a month. And so you've got, if, if you're staying on schedule, you've got some extra days to review or whatever. That's good. My hope with this book, Lent is 40 non Sundays plus the Sundays. So depending on how you calculate it, Lent is about 46 to 47 days from Ash Wednesday until Easter Sunday. And maybe 30 meditations would be a good thing for you personally, for you in a small group, for you in a family. And then in particular, when you get down to the last eight days. So me personally, I mark those last eight days from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday with particular joy and vigilance. The last eight chapters in the book are meant to be that daily walk with Jesus from riding into Jerusalem on the donkey to the final conflicts with uh, the false teachers, with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, with the leaders in Jerusalem, to the Garden of Gethsemane, to Golgotha, to the waiting of the disciples on that long Saturday, and then to the joy of Easter Sunday. So I would commend to readers, maybe if nailing it every day for you personally or your family is, is unrealistic, right. maybe you could nail Holy Week for eight days, and that would be a really good thing. Yeah, and so you've broken it up into three sections. Mm. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on, you know, let's start with where you start with his life. What are you hoping that we glean out of these readings about the life of Christ? That's right. There's the three sections leading up to that last part on Holy Week. Right. Uh, section one about life. Section two about his death. We linger there. Section three, the resurrection. And then Holy Week. And uh, in that first section... There is so much to linger over in Jesus' life. And by that, my focus is on 
uh, his life up until Holy Week. So the gospel accounts are about around 50 percent, maybe a little less than 50 percent, but about half of the gospels deal with his last week. So you see the import and the weight of the last week of Jesus' life from Palm Sunday to resurrection and ascension. But that leaves about half the Gospels that are telling us accounts, precious, glorious accounts. There are glories to see about Hmm. Jesus in this 50 plus percent of the Gospels that are about his life and ministry. What I do in that first part is linger over some of those often overlooked glories and try to see the kinds of things that are there for us from God through the apostles in the Gospels and enrich our appreciation of Jesus' life. He didn't just come and go straight to the cross. He came and lived, this is amazing, 30 years plus in obscurity. Hmm. And then his three plus years of ministry at the end. And the gleanings in this book are particular to his his season of ministry. I rehearsed there some themes maybe often overlooked, like Jesus' own personal habits of devotion. Yeah, that's where you start. I found that... Again, like you said, uh, the places you went, I didn't see coming. And it was really interesting as you start with his habits, his time alone with God. I was challenged myself to think, I mean, I'll I'll read, Jesus didn't just retreat but invited his disciples to join him. And so at the end of each little section, you sort of challenge us as the reader and today as the listener to say, okay, what are you you doing with your time alone with God? Hmm. How would you encourage followers, believers to captivate or to energize that time we get to spend alone with God, modeling after Christ. An amazing thing to observe in Jesus' life is his pattern of retreat and then re-entry into the world. Hmm. I mean, once you see the theme in the Gospels, you just you see it all over. When Jesus, he retreats from the situation, the crowds are coming around. Or, for instance, that first day in Capernaum, when he heals Peter's mother-in-law, and they're bringing all the, the people in to be healed by him, and they go to sleep, you know, that night, like, this is the best night of Peter's life. Jesus is in Peter's hometown. The crowds are swirling. Everybody's excited. And they wake up the next morning, and they can't find Jesus. <laughs> Peter must have flipped. Like, where is he? You know, my, my hometown is outside the door waiting to be healed, waiting to hear his message, right? And Jesus has retreated to a time of prayer. And over and over again, we see in the Gospels that it's some of the most chaotic times. Sometimes when the crowds are biggest, Jesus gets a way to prioritize meeting one-on-one, face-to-face with his Father. And he also draws the disciples into that rhythm. A couple big themes we also see in Jesus' life is he is a man who has memorized and is saturated in God's Word. Hmm. And so again and again, Jesus quotes Scripture. You know, have you not heard? (laughs) Or what do you do about the passage of the bush when he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He reasons with the Scriptures when he confronts his enemies. He quotes and alludes to the Scriptures as he teaches his friends. And so you observe a kind of scripture saturation in the life of Jesus that is very significant and should be an encouragement to us today. You know, I don't know what your daily life looks like back in Minnesota. You're (laughs) a husband, you're a dad, you've got kids. What does that look like in terms of your habits as a husband and dad, time alone with God, time in the word? Give us a, a glimpse into your life. Like you're leading a family, you're in ministry. How do you live this out? 
over the years. And I, I'm putting you right on the spot. Like, dude, you better be living this out, right? I, I don't mind it because I, I did a book on <laughs> did a book on this a few years ago uh, called Habits of Grace, where I tried to be a little bit personally revealing as as well as talk to people about it. So I, I don't mind talking about this very private thing. It, it's a risk. I, I get it. You know, well, I, I asked you the question knowing you're going to have an answer. It isn't <laughs> okay. going to be, well, actually, I don't. I mean, because, you know, our kids are watching. Yes, that's right. Our wives are watching. Uh, right. The community's watching. It's like it's one thing to know and talk about the life of Christ. Do we live it out? So what's that look like in terms of rhythms and habits in your life? First thing in the morning is so important and so precious. I found over the years, I don't need as much sleep as my wife. That's an opportunity, at least for me as a dad. It starts with getting myself to bed on time and not letting some screen keep me up longer than it should. (laughs) And then waking up in the morning, I want the first voice I hear in the morning to be the voice of God in the scriptures. (laughs) So I set my alarm to get out of bed and uh, I make a beeline <laughs> to my Bible and coffee. <laughs> Do you? So I, I got a, a hot cup of coffee and I got my Bible open. And those are some of the most precious moments of my day. I don't want to minimize the preciousness of my time with my wife or my kids or what God's called me to do in the rest of the day. But there is something so important for my soul that happens in those first moments hmm. of not rushing through God's word. I try not to read God's Word in a hurry. I want to linger over God's Word. So the Bible itself talks about meditation. Psalm 1, he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And meditation is at least this, a kind of slow reading at the pace of the text. So in the hurry of modern life, probably the single most important thing I do to hold back the tides of hurry and rush is to have unhurried time in God's Word in the morning. And I want to linger over what he's had to say. I, I just I referenced a few minutes ago my Bible reading plan I've done for 20 years now that I just love. I've fallen into the habit of, of using this Bible reading plan. You, there's four different places in Scripture. And I, I just take my time lingering over those passages. It takes about 70 hours to read the Bible, cover to cover, which is less time than the average American spends in front of the television in a month. Not counting screens. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if, you, if you discount screens, that is an eight or nine hour a day average, you know, very quickly, you're talking 10 days, and you could have read the Bible in that time, right? Yeah. If you take text that you could read in about 15 minutes and spend 30, 35, even 40 minutes working through them slowly, meditating on those texts, praying them back to God as you receive them from God, from his own voice by the power of the Spirit in the Scripture, it will change your life. I want to start my day with the voice of God. I remember, uh, you know, when the pandemic first started, I found myself, you made me think of it, uh, when I'd wake up, because my daily rhythm habits were much like yours. I'd start with the Word, prayer, meditation, Mm -hmm. try to slow down, take a deep breath. I found myself, because of where the world was, opening my phone, going directly to the latest news. What's going mm. on with the pandemic? What are the cases? What are the numbers? What's the... I don't mean, I'm not kidding. It was like several days, probably maybe 10 or 14 days. I'm like, what am I doing? Mm. You know, it's like I, I literally started with the voice of the, the world and news, not the voice of God. 
And guess what my heart felt? Anxiety, mm. right. fear, uncertainty. And I remember thinking, that cannot be the way I start my day. And it never was. And because we're in a different reality, it changed way. And I remember thinking, I've got to start with the Word of God. It's right. got to be number one because it will affect who I am as a man, who I am as a husband, as a dad, how I lead my family, how I engage with my family. So what you just said, I mean, and, you know, you've given us a resource that would be a great one to use through Lent. Start like Jesus started, time alone with God, time with the Word, memorizing it. It will, like you just said, it will change your life. And what changes our life, it changes our family's life. Mm-hmm, that's right. You know, there's in terms of the content that we're exposed to in modern life, I mean, we, we see it everywhere. I, at the hotel, I walk in and CNN's on yeah. when they're serving the breakfast. I mean, all Bombarded the time, with news, yeah. All the time we're being bombarded by news and yeah. other content. If it is a mere quantity battle of the words of God and of Christian teaching and of words that are going to bring us nearer to God and to Jesus or the so-called words of the world, we don't have a chance in modern life. Yeah. So what's so important is the quality aspect. In those early moments with the kids still sleeping, I can pay quality attention to God's words with a slow, unhurried, meditative lingering over Scripture that CNN's not going to get from me. Hmm. They, I may hear that. I may be confronted by other things throughout the day. But I'm going to give the most quality, focused, slow, enjoyed attention to God's words to start the day. And that makes a significant difference. to thank Dave and Ann Wilson along with Bob Lapine and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Do you have more questions on how to develop healthy marriages, how to be a better parent, how to make romance and sex work well, or how to grow spiritually? Check out some articles that will help challenge you to move forward well at our website. Go to families.powertochange.org.au for more information. You're invited back tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today presented by Power to Change in conjunction with this radio station.